0: sastechy.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 22. Today I'm speaking with Jason Amunwa, a SaaS expert who runs growthlook.com and who has a ton of experience, several years of it, building SaaS products, including popular website add-on HelloBar. We discuss content analytics, identifying the right metrics for your company, and ways to reduce churn. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website, choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Jason Amunwa, a product manager who helps startups, uh, you know, grow and and figure out how to you know grow their business and 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 do a whole bunch of really other cool things, which he's going to talk about. Um, he's also been a you know product manager at a at a digital uh, a digital company. And they've created products that they've sold to other companies. So, Jason, thanks for being here. And I should also mention you're a good friend of mine. We've been friends for a while yeah. now. Um, so, <laughs> thanks for being here. Yeah, and thanks, uh, and, and he's it. also. And I should also mention that uh, as his uh, part of his consulting business is growthlook.com. Um and that's where you can find out more about what he's doing. But we'll get to that towards the end of this, the episode. So, Jason, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thank you, Jeff, and hi everyone listening. So, Jason, you, you've been in the digital space for a while, you've been in the SaaS business for a while as well, um, but yep. just to give our, our audience kind of an idea and flavor of who you are, you know, tell us a little bit about you and what you do and what you're doing currently.
1: Sure, yeah. So right now I'm a, I'm a product manager for a healthcare software company called Vault. Um, they do kind of secure messaging for, um, for healthcare teams, like doctors and nurses and stuff like that, because most hospitals are still using pages these days and out of the 1980s. Um, and yeah, (laughs) I know, right. It's, it's kind of scary. Um, and at the same time, I also help, uh, primarily SaaS startups, but software, software startups in general, just find growth. Um, I have a... Pretty pretty long background in marketing and uh, and product management. So I mean, I find I'm, I'm comfortable straddling both sides of that fence, and I, I help these companies find uh, easy growth opportunities, um, mainly with UX and marketing tweaks and um, a bit of data analysis as well. Because I find that you know there's so much data, and most startups don't have time to analyze it uh, thoroughly. But in that data, usually resides kind of golden nuggets that uh, that can really propel growth in the short term. So yeah, that's uh, that's how I try and make myself useful.
0: (laughs) Nice. So, and and it's absolutely true. I mean, like there, there there's so much data out there and there, and and there's so many things that can be done, uh, for any kind of, you know, business really, but, but you know, we, you specify, you, uh, you specify and, and work specifically with software and SaaS companies, but you know, there's often like, I think, I think it's kind of overlooked in many cases, and I mean, I guess that's why you're consulting on this. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are so many little things, especially from a user experience, you know, standpoint, whether that be the registration flow or or just a, a, a part of the registration flow, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be how you, you know, prompt people um, to, to sign up for your email lists so you can generate better leads. You know, there's so many different things that go into it and which we're going to talk about. Um, right. But bef- yeah, so I, I, I really think that that's a valuable kind of thing that uh, that we're going to talk about today. So before we get to all that, though, I want to discuss a little bit about how when we when we first met, um, mm-hmm. you were running a product called filament at a company uh, where you were um, a director at called telepathy, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so filament um, went through a few different incarnations uh, over its uh, over its lifespan, um, but the where it ended up was it was a, an analytics product designed for specifically for content marketers. Um, but it was analytics built by UX experts as opposed to data analysts. Um, the The problem that we identified is that. Everyone's drowning in data. There's so much data everywhere. I mean, Google Analytics kind of lives on on most of the websites on the internet, uh, and it, it is an incredibly robust tool. It, you know, every day it's collecting just mountains of data. So, collection of data isn't the problem. It's making sense of it is the problem because anytime. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you, I've always kind of said, if you want to watch someone sweat, you ask them how's the website doing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's such a simple question. Like ask them that in the morning and count how many hours it takes for them to come up with a succinct answer. Are we doing better or are we doing worse? It'll take them hours to, to get you the answer. So um, clearly, there's there's a gap in in analytics. Uh, the way that we're Presenting this data for consumption, uh, it's not presented for human consumption. Like you have to do a lot of hard chewing and a lot of digestion just to get something that you know your boss will understand out of the data. So um, yeah, that's that's the problem that we uh, we decided to tackle with filament.
0: So that's so that's what inspired you to to build the product. I, I always thought it was interesting, and I guess you you sort of answered that uh, the question I'm about to ask. But I'd, I'd love to get some more insight here. Sure. Um, in terms of so in, instead of building your own tracking. To, uh, you know, uh, script, if you will, that people could implement on their site filament. Um, uh, basically you connected it to your existing Google analytics account, and then it used the data in there to come up with, uh, insights and ha- and help people understand how content was performing and things yeah, like
1: that. That's, that's right. Yeah. it's cause um, as I said, you know, collection is not the problem. We we're all drowning in it, but the the communication of meaning around that data is what the problem was so rather than go through the steps of trying to build our own collection process and our own code snippet and not, you know our own um trying to generate uh that, that data even more of it which only adds to the problem uh we decided okay well what's a common uh what's a common source of data that most people have? So Google Analytics was a, was a perfect fit for that. So what we did was we started just integrating with Google Analytics, pulling all of that data uh, from those accounts and then really just chewing on it on our side and representing it in a more user-friendly way um, uh, in order to kind of just basically enhance people's ability to find meaning in all of that data. So that's kind of why we uh, why we we took the approach that we did is we were after those kind of aha moments, not necessarily, okay, I've added this new thing to my website. So it's yet another dashboard that I have to check.
0: Right. And so uh, those who are probably listening to this podcast are probably aware that I also started a company called Kaya, which was an analytics company geared towards publishers and content marketers to help them understand um, how their content was performing and give them insights similar to what you were doing at Filament. Yeah, we were very um, much in mind in that respect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, and we actually built tracking, a tracking snippet, you know, uh, yeah. code that, that people in- implemented on their websites. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason why we did that, you know, we thought that if we had more control over the data we were collecting, we could do. We could do a lot more with it. Yeah, um, totally. it's at a, the end it's of the a, day,
1: a, yeah, the double-edged sword. That was kind of a fork in the road that we faced as well, um, yeah. because yeah, we you know we ran into issues where people were kind of uh, trying to compare our metrics to Google Analytics and saying, well, no, these numbers are off. And it's kind of like, why are you why are you trusting a free tool over a paid analytics product that, that has people, you know, actually focused on? I don't know. It was, it was kind of an interesting uh, uh, shift in, in perception. I think uh, it's almost like you get into up, upside down world when it comes to the way that people perceive analytics. Um, but yeah, I mean, right. in terms of the, the, the data itself, uh, in a bid to kind of enhance the meaning as opposed to just generating more data, more raw data, um, we ended up uh, approaching it by synthesizing lots of different metrics from Google Analytics. So I mean, there's there's lots of different things that you can look at in GA. Uh, you can look at page views, time on site, uh, bounce rate, uh, number of pages uh, deep that uh, the visitors are going like, there's not any number of metrics in there. Um, and at any time, any given time, when you look in there, some of them, some of those metrics will be up, others will be down, some might just be stable. Uh, and so it's basically telling you that that everything's fine, everything's great, and everything's bad all at the same time. So it was really a <laughs> right. kind of meaningful or actionable kind of an analysis from that data. So the way that we approached it was we decided to create um, kind of like a, a consolidated score, like a single number that you could look at and know whether or not you're doing better or worse than yesterday, last week, last month, last year. Um, and it's not like this is a really new concept. I think uh, clout, if, if your listeners remember clout, um, sadly, RIP. Um, but, right. RIP yeah, guys, basically yeah. doing the same kind of approach where uh, people signed up and they would connect their different social networks to cloud and then cloud would crunch the numbers and the activity from all of those different networks and give you your cloud score, uh, which, you know, people started put, printing on their T-shirts and on merchandise and stuff like that to show their kind of their social status. So, I mean, you know, the the ethics of the math are, are debatable, but the, it was interesting that, you could take something as complex and nebulous as people's social influence um, and use certain uh, data points, synthesize it down into a single number that measured their effectiveness or measured their perceived kind of uh, level of influence. Um, that type of approach was really, really interesting to us. And so we kind of took the same approach uh, when we built Filament. Uh with content marketing. So being able to take all of your kind of web metrics, synthesize it down into a single, we called it an engagement score that, that was from zero to 100. Um, and when you start tracking that that single score over time, uh, you start observing movements and trends in it and patterns uh, that enable you to kind of more quickly analyze uh, how, you, how you're doing as opposed to, you know, pages and pages of analysis saying, yeah, your traffic's up, bounce rate is down and conversion rate is stable, so I don't really know what to tell you. It's hard to kind of uh, get a <laughs> right. single uh, assessment from all of that information. But when you synthesize it down into a single score and compare it to how you used to do, um, things become a bit clearer as to whether or not you're doing well
0: or worse. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, with Kaya, we had we had a similar type of uh, metric that we that we had to. synthesize. Yeah, Kaya, we, had right? yeah the, we had a Kaya score. Yeah. We also had we also had engagement uh, scores as well for each individual remember, piece of mm-hmm. content.
1: Yeah, when we met over that, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not crazy." Someone else <laughs> <see me> too. <laughs> it was like it was no, really
0: uh, uh, yeah. It was validating for me too <laughs> um, to see that. And, and, you know, and I think, and I think you hit on something that was really interesting, which was, you know, because Google Analytics is so ubiquitous, and you know, it's become the kind of de facto, you know, or the standard <laughs> that people awesome, kind of yeah. go by. Um, <laughs> And and we we ran into similar issues sometimes too, where it was like our met, especially since our metrics were we tracked our our, our by you know using our tech as opposed to relying yep. on Google Analytics. So um, th- sometimes there were small discrepancies that people would notice and they'd be like, "Well, which one's right? Who do I believe?" Right. And That was actually that,
1: yeah, yeah. That was one of the the biggest obstacles. Uh, in marketing filament and, and selling it to customers was that trust and credibility gap. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, because GA is, is installed on basically almost every website on the internet, um, people have come to see it as the arbiter of, of, of truth or the canonical source of truth. It's like if Google Analytics says that it happened, then it happened. And uh, what's not talked about so much is that Google Analytics, while robust, is not perfect. There, there are lots of very common um, types of actions that users can take on the internet that Google Analytics doesn't track very well, um, especially at scale. So um, you know it can become a bit of an uphill struggle against uh, customer perception when you're like, no, 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 look, this this is the way that we these are the steps that we took to verify this. Your Google Analytics number is not is not the one that you should be paying attention to. But they they're like, yeah, it's Google, so you know your your product is measuring. You're this wrong. Way. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, that was one had- of the. Tr- Challenges. I think one of the other big challenges uh, is that Google Analytics has set the expectation among customers that um, analytics should be free. So we were constantly running into this, this um, barrier of, uh, well, I mean, I already have Google Analytics. And it's like, well, yeah, but do you ever look at it? And when you do look at it, do you <laughs> find anything useful? And then you're also trying to use this data to make significant decisions about your business don't you owe it to yourself to get a much clearer view? And isn't that worth anything to you? And for many people, right. the answer is no. But for a few more forward-thinking people, the answer was yes, absolutely. Like I should because I want to be making clear decisions off of the data uh, that I'm collecting. Um, it's worth it to me to get a clear review as to what that data is telling me.
0: Right now, we ran into similar things. Also, I think, I think when, especially when dealing with smaller scale operations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they it, it's it's sometimes it's, it goes it went either one of two ways for us. It was either oh that sounds interesting, let me try it out, or I don't really even look at Google Analytics, and like and even when I do, I it, I don't know what I'm doing. Right, and, right. Well, and then and then we're like, well, that's why you need us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it becomes this Kafkaesque like circular conversation where <laughs> where you're just going round and round in circles.
0: <laughs> right, and 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 it was it was definitely frustrating to see, and I think. There are there are more, you know, I think I think the problem is, um, is that there is, you know, there's there's all these smaller operations, small, medium sized operations online that are kind of they're doing all right. And and maybe they're content with how they're doing. I mean, yeah. I don't I and 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 they're not really, you know, they, they're, they don't. They don't think that they can you know make sense of the data to make you know data driven decisions meanwhile then they're yeah it it takes time
1: yeah it it takes a lot of time to or typically takes a lot of time if you don't know you don't have background in in data analysis or you don't know what you're specifically looking for um analytics can become this black hole or this this rabbit hole that you go down and it's hard to pull yourself out of and it, it can often feel like you're trudging around in these tables full of numbers uh, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, "God, I could be like I could be refining my welcome email or I could be you know updating my uh, pricing page to to convert more people into paying customers. Um, it can feel like it's a distraction when, in actual fact, like you're looking at the lifeblood and the heartbeat of your business when you're analyzing that data. Um it's right. just very hard work, and it it takes a long time to to show any value, typically. Uh, based on the way that the tools are structured so that was again one of our, our primary motivations with filament was let's make it let's make it easy to to find interesting stuff about your business let's build this tool so that it is telling you things rather than kind of sitting there with the equivalent of its arms crossed, being like, "Well, what do you want to know? You've got to, you've got to ask the right questions in order for me to tell you anything." Um, it's, uh, I don't fault people for not wanting to pay for analytics tools when that's the way that they behave. You know, it's kind of like, "Well, why am I, why am I paying you money just to get this aggravation?" And I have to figure out how to ans- ask the question in exactly the right way to find something interesting for my business. So I think. Um, Analytics tools in general should be much more forthcoming and proactive with the types of insights that they're pushing out to users instead of, you know, sitting back there and forcing people to be reactive instead of proactive.
0: 100% agree. And those were things that we definitely tried to do at Kaya as well. I mean, I remember, um, you know, that, you know, we would, we would, we worked on ways to be proactive and get the data in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also when it came to, you um, you know, we, we would send our, our, our daily kind of insight emails out or, you know, weekly, depending on whatever people selected. Right. We would ha- you know, we came up with these, in- these, uh, these automated insights. We worked on automating more uh, insights and bubbling up interesting things for people. Yeah,
1: absolutely. A- and sometimes of think- can types sort of drive-by types of insights that, that spark off an idea that turns into, you know, a whole separate product or a whole separate arm of the business. Um, and it's always funny to me that you know that that insight was always just sitting there in the data. It just required a bit of extra work to surface it up and push it to the right person, um, right. because otherwise the person would never think to look in that area of their analytics, and they wouldn't think to ask that specific question. So it's like I see so many missed opportunities and missed potential in the data, um, and it's all just sitting right there. It just requires the the right frame of reference in order to surface it up.
0: Yeah, and I, I also think you know the, I've thought about this a lot. Obviously, since I shut down Kaya, and mm-hmm. and and I, when we start, when I started the business in twenty fourteen, I I you know the the digital media you know industry the pub the digital publishers that the ones that I was going after as customers um, were already in a bad space um, you know uh, to begin with, and I kind yeah. of thought it could go one of two ways, and I I bet on the fact that people would start investing more. In analytics that were proactive and helpful and you know allowed them to make better decisions right um you know i thought they would do that instead what they what they did was um, a majority of them not all of them but a majority of that i that i you know that the reason why i decided to, to stop pursuing it was that you know they decided that all right i'm going to try and milk as much revenue out of every eyeball as possible um, right, right, And I'm going yeah. invest all my I'm gonna invest all my time and resources and money into uh, getting tools that do that. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's,
0: uh, we're kind of a, at an interesting
1: inflection point. I feel like such a, such a sellout for saying a buzzword like inflection. I feel like everybody's <laughs> constantly trying to paint the, the now as like the inflection point. We're living at this crazy inflection point. Um, but I, I, I see certain changes happening in terms of, of digital content um, that make me feel like, Oh, okay, maybe we're, we're about to change direction a little bit. So, I mean, content has become so devalued, uh, in our economy because it's being used as the carrot to attract attention. So attention is kind of the currency of the, of the moment right now. It's like people are willing to do almost anything to attract more attention, more eyeballs, because the thinking goes, okay, I can monetize a small percentage of those eyeballs and I I can make a ton of money. Um, and so the content is kind of thrown out there for free as a carrot to attract those eyeballs but the content costs money to generate it, it costs money to create good content that is engaging that is valuable to the users um and we're expected to kind of give it away for free and, and you know you see certain certain companies and certain folks are, are rebelling against that now um you know it, the new york times has put up a paywall medium <laughs> has put up a paywall as well so yeah. um you know there's a, Big content producers are starting to see that, okay, this this model of just chucking out as much mediocre content as possible to attract the eyeballs and then monetizing a small percentage of those eyeballs is not really viable anymore. It's it's starting to show, st- that, that model is starting to show a lot of strain. Mm. Um, so I, I'm hoping that we can actually get to a point where analytics is seen as far more valuable because if I'm giving you insights about your product like content which is your product you're getting paid to produce that content as opposed to i've got to produce this content to market the products that i've built um there becomes a, a bit more of a direct line between having good analytics and having roi because i'm if i'm telling you okay change this and you'll get uh, more people signing up to read this article or these types of articles tend to convert into uh, or visitors to these types of articles tend to convert into paying customers more often. Um, it becomes a, an easier sell for uh, for someone to say, "Hey, I've got analytics that can help you figure that out." And so, I, I'm hopeful that that it'll get easier to start selling analytics because people will be able to draw that direct line between insights and ROI.
0: Right. No, exactly. So, but speaking of uh, of insights and ROI and and all those things that go along with it, I want to talk. Let's let's change path a little bit yeah, so. let's talk about um you know different uh things you can do to improve uh your revenues or or, or drive more signups yeah or you know whatever you're looking to achieve so you you, you know you, you over the years you've become very specialized in you know a conversion rate optimization and user experience and ui yeah. and and we obviously we talked about analytics and, and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, if someone if someone has a a web business, a SaaS business, let's say small SaaS business that they're looking to grow, mm-hmm. what should you know? What types of things should they be trying to look for, and how do they and or or learn about, and how do they go about doing that?
1: Uh, great question. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways I could answer that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, in, in thinking about it, um, the way that I, I kind of learned to, uh, to find these types of opportunities, I, I'll start this out by saying that it is incredibly difficult to bring a product to market. Um, there's many different things that you have to keep in mind at the same time, and you have to kind of juggle those, those types of priorities in order to successfully bring the product to market. Um, and I think because of that, you end up making a lot of trade-offs. Uh, but when you make the trade-offs, you may not completely understand the types of opportunities that you're missing. So many of the things that uh, that I see in the, the folks that I, or the, the products and businesses that I work with is they're very basic things. It's just priorities happened. And so, you know, the meta tags on your website didn't get optimized properly, which depresses, you know, the amount of click throughs that you get from organic uh, search visitors. Um, somebody may not have had time to proofread the copy on the homepage to make sure that it's hitting as strongly as it possibly could, or that it's identifying the value proposition. Um, Because, you know, uh, at the last minute before launch, you know, somebody realized, "Oh, oh, shit, we need to get the homepage up now in order to be ready for, the press release to go out and all kinds of things. Like, there's any number of missed opportunities, and some of them are made knowingly by the folks um, that that are behind these businesses. And that's not to fault them at all. It's as I said, there's there's an almost impossible amount of things that you right. need to right in order to. F- I,
0: I, I definitely had to make those trade-offs yeah, along yeah. When I, you know, along the way. You know. right.
1: it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the reality of of building a product. But what can often happen is that many of those basic uh, best practices or or opportunities that are kind of indicated in from some data analysis or like a good UX review, um, many of those opportunities just get forgotten about in the rush because you know once you launch and you've got paying customers, then you've got to support them. Uh, You start getting uh, you start fielding uh, new feature requests that need you know become high priority, and so a lot of these different options or, or opportunities for for optimization. Um, get put to the side and deprioritized and oftentimes just forgotten about. But what I found is that individually, uh, they're often very small tweaks some of them take as little as an hour, and you only have to ever have to do them once. Um, but they can provide like a few points of, of additional growth here and there. You know, uh, refining a, a couple UX items on the homepage can increase your conversion rate by a couple percent. Uh, you know, optimizing your meta tags increases your your organic search traffic, which can turn into more paying customers because they've got high intent. They're searching for keywords related to your product, um, and they may end up converting a bit more, uh, which is an extra, you know, few, couple percent of, of conversion. What I found is that um, stacking up those types of, of optimizations uh, can yield, over a long term, it, it can yield significant additional growth um, over your, your current growth tra- trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been interesting. It's, for me, it's kind of like detective work. I, I like to kind of just dive in and see what I can find. And I, I usually come back with about a handful of, of just usually fairly, fairly small tweaks to the UX, to the sign up flow um, to the, the marketing website. Um, and I'm able to find things
0: that, that have impact for, for these com- companies. Cool. So speaking of, of SAS and, 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 you know, metrics and tweaks, mm-hmm. there is a, uh, common phrase among SaaS companies, right? The North star metric, you know, what's your, what's your North star? Everyone, anyone who's in SaaS always has been asked that question at least once I'd imagine. Yeah probably sure. multiple times right. um how 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 should how should a SaaS company identify their north star metric like like what what should what should they be looking for or which sh- you know what's what's the magic sauce behind it? because everyone could have a everyone could have different a different north star you know mm-hmm. there's not just one that's out there yeah. um well I guess I'll, I'll preface it
1: by saying I I'm in in two minds about the term north star metric right okay. um, on one hand i think it's brilliant uh because it gives much needed focus to the folks who are building uh building products you know as i said there's so many things that you've got to keep your eye on when you're trying to bring a, a, a working product to the market um that it's easy to easy to just get lost and and you end up with uh, analysis paralysis so pushing the the philosophy of you know concentrate on one metric and focus all of your efforts behind that one metric. It's a brilliant, uh, brilliant approach. I, I love it. On the other hand, um, I find that, uh, that even just the term North star, uh, implies that it doesn't change. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's not realistic for, uh, companies, especially software companies where things move so quickly and, and you move through the phases of a, a business, uh, at a probably a more accelerated rate than non-software companies just because technology evolves so quickly. Um, so calling it in a North Star metric, it's kind of a misnomer because uh, at different points in your, your company's uh, growth history, you're gonna be focused on different things. Whereas, you know, the North Star doesn't change. <laughs> we would-, we would <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a fair
0: yeah. point, that's a, that's a good point, yeah. It's,
1: yeah. So it's, it's like, I think it's a, it's a great term, but I think it's a slight misnomer because your focus in, in terms of metrics, changes based on the, the situation that your company finds itself in. So, um, I guess the way I, I see North Star metrics is there are really kind of three um, different types there's money, there's acquiring more customers and there's retaining customers. So churn. Those are, I mean, those are the three North stars. (laughs) I guess I'm cringing saying that. (laughs) Those are the three main North stars. Like as a business, you want to optimize for one of those three things. You want to make more money, you want to acquire more customers, or you want to retain those customers. Um, And so
0: Oh, right. Or just do all three, and then you'll be in really good shape.
1: Right. I mean, God, if only we could, you could quote unquote, focus on those three, have multiple focuses, which is you know, <laughs> such, a, such a, an interesting term. Um, but I guess what I what I typically coach the folks I work with is, okay, your strategy is driven by one, of, probably one of those three main metrics, getting more money, getting more customers, or holding on to the customers that you have for longer. Um and then there's kind of like a constellation of metrics that feed into those three possible types of goals that you're working from, um, and a I like lot of how the, there's
0: all this start talk.
1: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Neil yes, Tyson talks SAS metrics. <laughs> um, and so what I find is that uh, you know. A lot of folks are very concerned about, oh, we got to, you know, build the entire funnel and make sure that we're tracking metrics all the way along to that goal of like higher, of reduced churn or higher revenue or, you know, increased customer acquisition. And what I try and coach people to to think about is, rather than focusing on trying to build an end-to-end like step-by-step funnel to that goal, which can take a lot of time and introduce a lot of confusion, um, what I find is, is better is just finding uh, variables that correlate with those main goals so um, you know I, I typically like to use uh, Pearson correlation it's a it's a very simple um, correlation formula you can calculate it in a spreadsheet um, and it's been around for about 150 years all it does is it highlights the strength of a relationship between two variables so if I' if I'm optimizing for revenue um, I can look into Google Analytics and see that I've got different channels of traffic coming in so I've got organic traffic I've got some paid ads I've got some social traffic coming from Facebook and Twitter, I've got referral traffic. So those are like major channels of, of, um, incoming visitors. What I typically like to do is just say, okay, look at that traffic and correlate it with revenue, daily revenue. Um, and what's the strength of the relationship between those different channels? So how, how correlated is Facebook traffic to revenue versus say organic traffic to revenue and by measuring those kind of those comparable relationships. Uh, it kind of gives you an an indicator as to where you should be focusing. So if there's a really weak correlation between Facebook traffic and revenue, I shouldn't even be fucking be bothering with it, honestly. (laughs) 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 It's it's like a a waste of time. Whereas if um, organic traffic is showing a really, really strong uh, strong relationship with um, daily revenue, I should focus my energy right now on growing organic traffic until that, that relationship is no longer true. In which case I run the analysis again and figure out where I should be focusing next. So, um, that's, that's an approach that i found helps kind of provide a bit more focus to the folks I, I work with. And it seems to, it seems to have an effect and help clear up
0: a lot of the confusion. Well, that makes sense to me. And I, I completely agree with, um, you know, everything you, you kind of talked about there. I think, you know, clearly, you need to, it's it's a situational um, thing where you need to focus on what makes sense for that particular moment in time. Right. Though, right, uh, yep. obviously, you need to have some kind of a guiding, you know, vision that the, that the founder or the CEO kind of brings to the table. Yep. But at the same time, you need to understand that, you know, you, you can't do everything. So you need right, to exactly. pick you know, what, what really needs to be worked on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it totally depends on where you're at as a company. Like, if you're trying to raise money, um, then you're probably less worried about optimizing for revenue. Uh, and you're more worried about showing good churn or or good customer acquisition numbers. So that should be your North star metric is customer acquisition or, or, you know, the number of customers that we're acquiring, that's what you're optimizing for. So what are the, what are the channels? What are the different ways or, you know, what traffic channels, what content, what features, uh, are correlating to acquiring more customers, optimize those, uh, and then check again. Okay, so if you get past the money raising stage and it's like, oh man, now we need to make sure that we're paying off um, this investment in our company in a, in a timely manner, we've got to make sure that we're maximizing LTV uh, or, you know, reducing churn to make sure that we're, we're getting as much money out of our customers as possible before they decide to drop us, um, optimize for whatever correlates to lower churn. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, like I said, that, that term of the North Star metric is this like unchanging thing that you should just be obsessed with it's like yeah in the short term or in the short to mid- medium term but as your company progresses hopefully progresses through the different growth phases of a of a of a product driven company um, you're gonna you're gonna change that North Star so it's right. just important to keep that in mind.
0: So speaking of churn,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's a huge churn is a huge uh, you know business of it in and of itself in the SaaS yeah. world, right? Yeah. Uh, There's so many companies that are, uh, you know, that are dedicated to helping you reduce churn. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically what that means is, you know, reduce the number of people who leave, uh, you know, your product, leave leave or stop paying for your product and, you know, use something else or just don't use anything. Yep. Um, you want, It's all about re- retention and keeping your customers happy and on board with their product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hoping that you could give us three tips for any SaaS company out there in terms of reducing Ways to reduce churn and, and and keep your customers on board. I I cannot. The reason, <laughs> I, the
1: reason I say that is because everyone measures and defines churn differently. Um, right. the, the measurement of churn for Tinder is going to be drastically different for the measurement for, for Blue Apron, let's say. Um, so there's no there's no churn reduction silver bullet. Sorry guys episode
0: done oh, man that's <laughs> that would... totally that totally i'm totally disappointed with you jason i don't know i don't know i don't know if we can keep going with this there's, yeah, there's actually the um, speaking of there's actually <laughs> there's uh, there's other um there's other metrics out there and this is the last you know the last metric that i want to talk about for today well, which I, is I
1: will say. sorry just yeah. real quick just a couple other things is um I, I think the only people who know why your customer why your customers are churning is the customers who are churning, so you've got to kind of uh, suck it up and, and make sure that you build uh, ways to reach out to people who do churn out of your product to figure out why. Why did they leave? Um, and try and address that that feedback. Um, I will say that, regardless of your of your industry niche or your your product type, um, what causes churn is there's a gap in the perceived in customers perceived value versus how often you're billing them. So. Um, I guess, to, to kind of give an example. So Filament, I mentioned it went through several different incarnations over its lifetime. Um, it started out as a, a way to add apps to your website, like little drag and drop widgets to your website without having to copy and paste a bunch of code each time you wanted to add something. Um, and so we built these these apps that were really um, you know customizable and did useful things on your site, uh, but they were very kind of uh, functionality focused um, they weren't providing a lot of insight or or helping you, your website evolve or t- improve over time. It was just kind of like, I go in, I sign up for Filament, I create this app widget, I add it to my site and set it and forget it, I never have to come back to it again. Um, but we were billing on a on a monthly subscription basis. So, you know, there was definitely, uh, people were excited to get the, the widget on their site, like a sharing toolbar or something like that. But once they configured it and had it looking the way that they liked, there was no, there was no um, impetus for them to go back into filament and use it again. So what, what we were finding is that um, people were churning because we just, it was kind of like a "what have you done for me lately" type of attitude. Yep, yep. We weren't providing ongoing value other than okay, our service is up and live. <laughs> uh, and okay. if you decide to change the color of your sharing bar, then yeah, you can go back into filament and change the, you know, tweak the colors and rearrange the buttons and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there was no perceived value. Um, When you know you're getting a monthly bill from us, hey, nine bucks, nine bucks, nine bucks, nine bucks, nine bucks for a year. um, A lot of people were like, "Well, what have you done for me lately?" And so we were getting stuck on on this feature treadmill where we felt like we had to create new features every month in order to justify the subscription fee uh, that we were charging people. So um, that's kind of what I would say about churn: is that you got to make sure that that gap in perceived value versus your billing frequency is closed as, as tightly as possible.
0: I, I I agree I'm I was sitting here shaking my head, you know yes, basically not no, yes yeah. uh, in agreement with what you were saying I, and I think I think I, I just want to stress the point that you brought up about if a customer uh, you know decides to leave your product or platform um, it is imperative uh, you as the as you know whether you're the founder and you're doing this or you're the product team or whatever. Uh, that you reach out and figure out, you know, you, you try and understand why they left and get in. And I think that having either, uh, some kind of feedback loop mechanism, um, that, that, that's, cons- that either is consistently placed throughout your dashboard in some way, mm-hmm. a way to get in touch with you and provide that feedback. Or, yeah. you know, at the very least, when someone decides to leave, having the, uh, uh, the ability for them to leave some thoughts, um, I would even go as far to say as. Right. Says, Reach out to them if they that's, don't leave thoughts and see and see yeah. you know email them. You have their yeah. information.
1: That's exactly yeah. That's exactly what I was uh, what I was going to say is the uh, the feedback. You know if you if if I hate your product and you're like hey you, you give me like a text box a, a big text box when I'm when I'm deleting my account saying hey give some feedback uh, we'd love to know why you're leaving. I'm like buzz off like I'm done with you guys. I want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but if you make the effort to to. Be proactive and reach out to me. Um, I guess uh, Dan Martell uh, has a, a technique that he calls Smile and Dial Thursdays. Every Thursday, he reserves half his day, and he's the CEO of the company, half his day to just call random customers and be like, "Hey, um, I work at you know product name, Clarity, or whatever product he's he's doing research on. Um, wondering if I could talk to you for for twenty minutes. Do you have do you have some time? Um, I'd love to get get your thoughts on it." And he said that. People react so much differently to the fact that he took the time yeah. to reach out to them, meet them where they are and work within their schedule to find out, you know, why they decided to leave his product. Um, and he does that with existing customers as well. Like he's getting much richer feedback than the the kind of throwaway comments that I'm likely to kind of type in just because, you know, you, you make you Essentially, what you're doing when you when you ask for feedback at the churn stage is you're making the the uh, process of leaving your product longer, and I resent and you more, more f-
0: painful, right? <laughs> yeah, and and, yeah, and so- the feedback and the feedback that you're gonna get is gonna be short and. Right, right. Well, it's, gonna it's not going to be—it's not going to be that helpful. Yeah, I hundred percent agree.
1: work, or, or you guys have been down for for today, or you know, I didn't get my my email alerts and screw you guys. It's that's a pretty demoralizing list of feedback to, to be receiving. <laughs> but it's yeah. harder for someone to say that to you down the phone or, or to your face. So you know, you get better feedback by by putting yourself out there more instead of hiding yeah. behind a. We
0: at Kaya, we did that all the time. I was constantly reaching out to customers and. Yeah and and to try and understand you know what their pain points were what how they were using the product well before yep. they decide whether whether or not they decided to leave uh, or stay uh, and i yep. found that to be very helpful so and there is actually speaking of you know customer satisfaction there's a metric out there now that has grown in popularity i'm mm-hmm. sure you know where i'm going with this it's called yep. np nps or net promoter score yep and and, and this and this metric is interesting because there are people on both sides of it. There are people who like swear by it, like it's like the be all to end all, and then there are people who are like, eh, not so much. Right. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to know where you stand on a Net Promoter Score, and maybe you can explain to people what uh, NPS, you know, what it what it what it means and what it. Yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. So
1: Net Promoter Score is um, it's a uh, it's a score that. Uh, <laughs> that is generated, basically, you send out a survey to customers and say, hey, uh, how likely are you to recommend this product to a friend on a scale of 0 to 10? Um, So you collect all of those different responses. Some people will say 0, some people will say 10, a whole bunch might say 8 or 7 or 6 or whatever. Um, And then you do a bit of number crunching to come up with basically a weighted average of that score. Um, And uh, I forget who it was that came up with NPS, and they're probably shaking their fist at (laughs) at the screen right now. You remember my name, but basically, they divided uh, up those respondents into three cohorts. So, you have the promoters who are, I think, uh, anyone that answered eight, eight to ten, um, you have the passive folks uh, who are, um, you know, seven to seven down to like three or four, I think. And then anyone from four or below is a detractor. So they would actually tell their friends, don't use that product because it sucks. Um, and the the promoters would be the ones, eight to 10, who are actively promoting it and being like, use this product, it's amazing. Um, and I- oftentimes, I think a lot of folks advocate targeting feedback from the passive uh, the passive folks, the ones who are from like four to seven or, or three to seven, um, because if you can push them off the fence to become promoters, then you're, you're headed in the right direction, at least from the, the customer angle. Um, everybody, uh, I mean, it's the same as the North Star metric, right? Like everybody wants to be the one to proclaim the end of history uh, and say, oh, we've, we have found it the ultimate metric that if you focus on it, your business will be successful and, you know, this is the the new standard uh, forevermore. Um, I just take it as it's just an ingredient in the overall recipe, right? Um, when it comes to trying to figure out the truth of what's happening with your business, uh, there's really two categories. There's observed and reported behavior for your users. There's the things that you can see them doing uh, and you see that through analytics and, and uh, you know event tracking and that kind of stuff. And then there's the things that they tell you that they're doing. And oftentimes those two things are very different. <laughs> Just for, for, through the quirks of human psychology, what people tell you they're gonna do Um, doesn't always align with what they actually do when they find themselves in the situation. Uh, There's all kinds of logical factors that go into that. The human brain is imperfect and it has quirks. Uh, And I think as product managers or as as people trying to grow companies and grow grow products, um, it's your job to hedge against those quirks, like know what those quirks are and hedge against them so you can get a better uh, idea of what reality is (laughs) because otherwise you end up in this like parallel universe where you think that things are happening because oh it's in the data i can see the the events um people loved that blog post they spent 10 minutes on it on average when really i opened that blog post and got distracted and went and made a sandwich for 10 minutes Um, (laughs) it it looks the same when you look at the data (laughs) so that's why you have you have to balance it with um with uh, reported behavior as well. And I'm like, yeah, that sandwich was great. What blog post are you talking about again? <laughs> so, yeah. Balancing the, the observed and the reported behavior to find the truth in the middle, I think is, is very important. And so the net promoter score fall, falls very strongly on the, um, the reported behavior aspect of things. People might rate your product a 10 on the NPS score and never tell another person, another soul about it. You don't know. Yeah. Unless you track referrals, uh, from that, that person, uh, and see that, okay, that person's referral generated, uh, six new signups. So yes, they did actually mean it when they said that we were a 10, they weren't just trying to kind of blow us off or, um, or just be nice.
0: Right. No, I, 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 am with you on that. I, I, I think, you know, I think all these metrics that we talked about today are all like you said, ingredients in the overall meal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were making like a gumbo or some kind of soup with yep. a lot of different ingredients, uh, all these metrics, you know, are that, and then the, and then the, and then the, uh, the, uh, the final soup is, is the, is the, that's you know, the inclusion <laughs> of all those metrics.
1: Right. Right. You're um, like, oh, yeah. you used to too much garlic in this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's how you make decisions about, you know, whether maybe less, less garlic next time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So so Jason, I really appreciate you being on this episode. You've made yep. it all the way to the lightning round. All right. Which, all right. Let's do this. Which <laughs> is supported by Wix. So you can create your professional website today at Wix. That's W-I-X.com. Hey, thanks, so, W-I-X dot com. Thanks, Wix. So Jason, are you yes, ready? I am for, ready. Let's, all right. Here we on. go. <laughs> Speaking of metrics, here here's the first question. What's your favorite SaaS metric?
1: Um, Gotta pick the one. ones that go up and to the right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll, I'll take that as an answer. I'll take it. Uh, iOS or Android?
1: Android, baby.
0: <laughs> oh man, iOS guy over here. Yeah. Favorite movie? Fight Club. Well, that's an interesting choice. Get your fucking khakis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last song you played, whether it be on your iPhone, your computer, whatever.
1: Oh god. Um. Let's see. Uh, it was probably something by Zoo, Zhu Z H U. I love that guy. I'm trying to. I'm learning music production and DJing right now, so I'm. I'm listening to a lot of electronic music.
0: <laughs> nice. And last, last question for the lightning round, and to round out this podcast, World Cup or Super Bowl?
1: World Cup. Oh my Ooh. God! It's the Super Bowl. How many countries compete in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to know who's the best in the world
0: at something. Yes, I, I, I love the World Cup. I watch it every every four years whenever it's on. I the two. I, it's funny because I love playing soccer, but I I don't really like watching soccer. But I'll watch soccer when it's the World Cup or the Olympics.
1: For sure, I, I've just the personal philosophy. It's always good to just you always learn something by watching the best in the world do something. It doesn't yeah. really matter what what it is that they're doing. You always pick up something, and uh, I always find that very uh, very interesting.
0: I I'm with you on that. I as I mentioned, I love playing soccer. I play in a league here in New York, okay. and I play on Sundays. And I've been watching the World Cup, and it's I think it's improved my game a little bit. Yeah,
1: for sure. You just even <laughs> run a little bit harder for that uh, for that that free ball, and uh, you kick a little harder when you're shooting. It's uh, it's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, thanks for, again. Thanks for being on this episode. I want to uh, give you a chance to uh, you know tell people if they're interested in getting in touch with you, how they can do that. Yeah, for uh, sure.
1: Real real yeah. simple. Um, you can find me at growthlook.com, all one word. Um, and you can find out about how to find uh, low hanging growth opportunities for your SaaS business uh, right there. And you can also contact me there
0: too. Well, thanks again, Jason. I really appreciate you being on. All right. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations. About technology and business? If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.